It is good to be here this morning, guys. Happy Father's Day. Man, I am excited to be up here. Uh, so this is my first Father's Day. I got a three-month-old baby girl. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So it's really special for me today. Um, you know, naturally, I figured Nathan asked me to preach today because three months in, I've already obviously got it all figured out. So I'm just here to give some parenting advice to all you guys. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, I'm honored to be up here today. It's, it's really special for a lot of reasons. Like I said, it's my first Father's Day. Um, I mean, it's Sunday. I get to talk about God. Both of my parents are here, so I'm just really excited to speak this morning. Uh, so before we get started with it being Father's Day, if you're a dad, would you stand up? We're going to honor you guys real quick. Yeah. There we go. Thank you, guys. You know, I think the role of a father is largely underplayed in the world today. And so I just thank all you dads for, for everything that you've done, for, for stepping up into the role, one of the most important roles that we, you will ever have, we will ever have in our life. And it's a blessing and it's an honor. So I just thank you guys for all that you've done, all the sacrifices that you made. So today is your day. I remember as a kid uh, on Father's Day and Mother's Day, I would ask my parents, like, you guys get Father's Day and Mother's Day. When's Kids Day? And they would say, literally every other day is Kids Day. <laughs> and I'm starting to understand that a lot. Um, so today is your day, dads, and we just want to honor you guys. So thank you for, for being you. Um, and so as we get into it, now, no, I'm not up here to give parenting advice because I have absolutely no clue what I'm doing. I'm three months in, um, and I'm loving it every single day, but I'm just figuring it out day by day. But uh, when I found out I was going to be speaking on Father's Day, God really put it on my heart to talk about his heart and to talk about his heart towards us as a father. And so we're going to talk about God our Father this morning. Um, and when we look into the New Testament, we see, when we look at our relationship between us and God, we see that described as a father to his sons, a father to his daughters. We are his kids, he is our dad. And that's how it's explained. And for far too long, I have let that thought and the reality of that relationship pass me by, and it's just empty words that I have, have, have sang and sung and prayed and said and all those things. And, and you've probably heard this before, that God is our father. And we've said it and we've sang it. We literally just sang about it in the song before I came up here. But when we let the, the, the reality and the magnitude and the weight of the relationship that God is our Father sink in, it is literally life-changing, or at least it should be. And so we're going to dive into that this morning, because God doesn't just love you. He loves you like a perfect father loves his kids. And as fathers and as kids to fathers... We know that that is a special and a unique type of love. It's not just a friendly love. It's a deep and intimate love that we won't know other than that. And God chose that for us on purpose. He chose to have the relationship as father to son, father to daughter on purpose. And I think it's important that we talk about this today because I believe with my whole heart how we view God and how we view his view of us shapes how we live every single day of our lives, whether we realize it or not. The way that we see God and the way that we think he sees us is going to direct our steps every single day. And when we look at the Bible as a whole, from cover to cover, it is saturated with God's love for us. 
See, the Bible is the greatest love story that has ever been told from cover to cover. And specifically, it shows how God has fathered us as a people throughout history. And he continues to father us. And I think oftentimes we can get lost in the trees of of, of theological debates and and nitpicking certain things. And I think we do need to talk about theology. It's extremely important and I love it. But we can't forget to step back and to see the entire force, the Bible as a whole, and see what the storyline is. And see that it's a picture of God's love for us. It's a relationship that God continues to pursue and mend even though we are the ones that broke it. It's a story of redemption and restoration back to our creator. And so we don't have enough time to cover the entire Bible this morning. Everybody wants to get to lunch. But I do want to dig into it a little bit. And there's two main things that I want to talk about. And they really just play off of each other. It's mainly kind of like a cause and effect. But it's not the cause and effect that we're typically used to reading about or acting about in our lives. And so we're going to go in, we're going to dive into our first scripture this morning, our first passage, and it's going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be bouncing around a lot, so if, if you're watching on the screen, just kind of read quickly. I'm a slow reader, so you have plenty of time. So main scripture, 1 John chapter 4, it says this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. So God loved us first. Before I could have done anything to earn it, before I could have done anything to ruin it, God already loved me. And so what that tells me is now I can live my life out of a place of love, not for it, because I've already got God's love. And I've twisted that up so many times in my life thinking of the opposite. Like I need, I need to do X, Y, and Z. I need to clean myself up, do good enough, be good enough, and then I can go to God and he'll love me because I've earned it. That's the cause and effect that I'm used to. But that's the religion that we get burdened by and we get, we get burned out by, and it's not what the Bible shows us. What the Bible is showing us is that God wants us to receive his love first before I even think about my conduct or my actions or my deeds. What the Bible shows us, a couple examples here. First one's in Ephesians. It says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins, in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then again in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if God loved us while we were sinners, that tells me not only is there nothing I can do to earn his love, but there is nothing I can do to lose his love. And that is the relationship of a father to their kids. And this relationship, see, God didn't have to have any sort of relationship with us. If we look at all of the religions, there's no relationship. It is merit-based. Do good enough, be good enough, do these rituals right, perform these things, outweigh the good and the bad, and then you can stack up enough things to reach whatever it is you're trying to reach. 
But God, our God, the God said, no, 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 no. I, I want a relationship. I want a relationship with my beloved and my creation. And that's how I'm going to win back the hearts of my people. See, he wants to walk with you and he wants to talk with you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to do life with you. He wants us to feel and experience his love. And so he made it to be like a father to his kids because he knew that we would understand that a little bit better because we would experience it firsthand. See, God's not distant. He's right here with you. He has not abandoned us. Like a good father, he will love us just like his own child if we will let him. And that promise is in Scripture. And we see this in Galatians. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Remember that word, Abba, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And then we see again in Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is so important and had to have everybody's head spinning that read this at the time. Because this God that back then the Jews, they, could, they wouldn't even speak his name because it was so holy. They had to go through somebody else to directly talk to God. And they're saying to call him Abba Father. Calling God Abba is equivalent to us calling him Dad or Daddy. Just like a little kid would call his parents. The ruler, the creator of the universe, the king of the universe that holds all power in his fingertips, wants you and me to call him dad. How beautiful is that? How intimate and real is that? He loves you that much. And you know what? On the flip side of that, if God isn't my father, if he's not our father, we could rightfully question if he even loves us or if he ever did. Because why would he? If there's no relationship there, if he's just God and we are just humans, he has no reason why he should love us. If we're being honest with ourselves, there's a lot of reasons we shouldn't be loved by the God of the universe. But the good news is, we didn't make up that relationship. We didn't put that on him. God chose that for us and he put that label on us. He chose to be our father. Time and time again, we see throughout scripture examples of this. Jesus came and he intentionally told us that when we put our trust and our faith in him, we become his sons and daughters. We are adopted into his family. Jesus literally told us when he was teaching us how to pray, we all know the Lord's Prayer, you've heard it whether you realize it or not, Jesus taught us how to pray and he opened it with this, our Father in heaven. He said that on purpose. Scripture also tells us that we are adopted into his family, we are heirs to his kingdom, we are grafted in branches to the vine and to the olive root, and that promise is secured forever with the Holy Spirit inside of us. And when we can approach our relationship with God like a child to their dad, we start to see 
the heart of God for what it truly is. And it is love and it is perfect. And we will never be let down and we will never be disappointed. That's the love of our Father in heaven. Now, with today being Father's Day, when you think of your Father on earth, your Heavenly Father, your Abba here on earth, there's probably a lot of emotions and different thoughts that come to mind. Could be good, could be bad. Maybe you're numb to it. Maybe it was absent altogether. Maybe somewhere a mixture of all of those. Some good memories, some painful ones. But no matter what, no matter how good or how bad our fathers were here, there is none that have been perfect. Zero. I will fall short as a father and already have no matter how hard I try. But I also know this, that every good thing that our fathers did give us will be perfected. Every shortcoming will be filled and every heartache will be mended by our perfect heavenly father if we will just let him love us and if we will just trust him. And as much as I fall short as a father, I want to make sure that I point my daughter to her heavenly father as much as I can because he is perfect. And like I said before, God chose this relationship on purpose because he knew that we would get a little bit better understanding of what it really meant. And I'm already seeing that to be true within just three months of being a dad and why he chose that relationship because it is so special and it is so unique. You see, when my daughter was born, she did absolutely nothing to deserve my love, if we're being totally honest. On the contrary, she gave us a lot of reasons why we shouldn't love her. Now, y'all parents, don't judge me. Pray for me. I'm sorry. Maybe you've had the same thought. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Sounds terrible. But, I mean, all she did really was bring discomfort to my wife for nine months. She made us pay her hospital bills and her doctor bills. She didn't offer to pick up one tab. She has pooped, peed, and thrown up on me and bodily functions I didn't even know were possible more times than I'd like to count. And she's taken away more hours of sleep than I'd like to count. Can I get an amen? Right? Yeah, thank you. All the moms and dads said amen. <laughs> she brought nothing of value to the table. She is so completely dependent on me and her mom for life every single moment of every day. But despite all that, without hesitation, I loved her. We loved her fully deeply, genuinely, completely. And it couldn't be some type of contract love where, where she has to hold up her end of the deal and so I'll keep on loving her. See, it couldn't be that because literally every day her survival is up to us. No pressure, right? We didn't get an owner's manual on the way out. But she's doing zero to earn our love right now. But you know what? She's got it. And she'll always have it because she's mine. She's my daughter, and I'm her dad. And now she will grow up from a place of my love, not for it. She's done nothing and can do nothing to earn it or lose it. She can't even love me back yet. But it is my absolute joy and honor and delight as her father to love her first. You guys see where I'm going with this? It's the exact same way between us and God. And Jesus, when he was talking to some parents here in the New Testament in Matthew, he says this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I, a broken sinner, feel this way about my daughter. How much more does our perfect Father in heaven feel this way about you and about me? 
He is absolutely crazy about you. And just like a good dad on earth, he doesn't just love you when you're on the mountain peak and you've got your life together and you feel like you're doing good. He loves you just as much on your worst day in the valley in your darkest time when you feel like you've gone too far and you can't come back. He loves you just as much then. And I think, though, if we're honest with ourselves, when we talk about this, this perfect love of God and this perfect love of the Father, there's a voice in the back of our head that's a little bit skeptical, at least me. I say, like, when, I, when I read the Bible and I, I look at this, sometimes it's, it's hard for me to believe that. You know, maybe when I, when I read the New Testament and I read about this Jesus, I see that, you know, maybe that can be true. He seemed like a really awesome guy, right? But when I see some stuff in the Old Testament and I read about the God of the Old Testament, sometimes I'm, that guy's kind of harsh. I don't, I don't know if I can believe that about him. You've ever thought that, you're not alone. But if we believe in the Bible like we say we do, let me share this truth with you. From cover to cover, from beginning to end, that's the same guy. The heart of Jesus is the heart of God, our Father. Jesus is God in the flesh, sent to dwell with us, his creation, so that he could reveal his heart to us a little bit more clearly because we weren't getting it, and he needed us to know how much he loved us. That's the same guy. Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. The heart of God did not change from Old Testament to New Testament because God does not change. He is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he will be the same for all eternity. He has always loved you, and he will always love you, like a good father does. And I read a book recently, and it talked about the heart of God, and it changed my perspective in an incredible way on how I view God and how I think he views me. The book is called Gentle and Lowly, and it's written by a guy named Dane Ortland. I don't know if I said that right, but don't worry, he's not here, so it doesn't matter. I'm going to read this quote. So he says this. The Christian life, from one angle, is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. And this is hard work. It takes a lot of sermons and a lot of suffering to believe that God's deepest heart is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. The fall of Genesis 3 not only sent us into condemnation and exile, the fall also entrenched in our minds dark thoughts of God, thoughts that are only dug out over multiple exposures to the gospel over many years. And perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that caused you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. That is powerful. Because when I read through my Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's a lot of things that have me scratching my head and wondering why. And I've come to the realization that there's just some things in this life that we're just not going to know the why behind. And that's just the reality of it. And that's a tough pill to swallow if I don't view God as my perfect father. Because just like a good father here on earth does things towards his children in love that at the time their children do not understand, it is out of love. Maybe it's because of discipline. Maybe it's because they're trying to teach character or valuable life lesson. Maybe it's just tough love. But I can rest assured 
knowing that all God has done, all God does, and all God will do is from a place of perfect love and of complete wisdom and understanding. And He deserves my unwavering trust and faith because He is a perfect Father. And I can trust Him with questionable circumstances because I know He has my best interest in mind. And I have prayed that if you guys don't hear another word that I speak this morning, that we can just cling to this one truth, that God has always loved you and He will always love you. And you may have strayed away from God, you may have cursed His name, and you may have sinned directly against Him. But just like a good father on earth, you may have hurt him, but you have never lost his love towards you. And you never will. That's something we've always had and will always have. He loves you. And so we need to drown out the voice in our head that's telling us that you need to be good enough for God. Or you will never be good enough for God. Because that's not the voice of God. See, the voice of God is saying, when you put your faith and your trust in me... You are my son, and you are my daughter, and you can take that to the bank. You are fully adopted into my family, and I will treat you as such. You are heirs to my kingdom, and you will never lose my love. This is not a merit-based love. It is a relationship-based love that God chose for us. He loves you no matter what. And when I was studying for this and I was reading about adoption, I was kind of curious just what that process looked like back in the Roman culture because we read a lot about how we're adopted into God's family. So what does that really mean? And I read a commentary and it says this. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all debts being canceled, with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. Thank you, Jesus. And when we can fix our gaze and our eyes and our intentions to just receive that love from God and believe that love from God, we start to see a shift in our lives. And it doesn't just change the way that we deal with our relationship with God. It changes how we deal with our relationships with everyone around us. See, we interact with the world differently because we are now living from a place of love and security, not for it. And let me tell you, that is freedom. And so what does that look like? What does this shift look like? When I start to receive God's love for me, and I believe it, and I know he's a perfect father and he loves me, and I'm filled with that. What does my life look like in response? Well, I think it points us right back to our initial passage in 1 John chapter 4. So going to cause and effect, we're going to the effect. We're going to read it again. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. So that truth, that promise that God has loved us first also comes with a call to action. And it's to love others. And loving people is not just some feel-good word that we say to our friends and family when we're hanging up the phone or they're leaving our house. No, love has action attached to it. Jesus literally attached his entire life to it. Loving people is difficult. It's messy sometimes. Loving people takes sacrifice and intentionality and selflessness. Loving people is hard work. 
You have to love people on purpose. It doesn't just happen on accident. And I know everybody here would agree with me when you go to work on Monday morning. It's not easy. But that's what we're called to do. Even Jesus himself said in John 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. He could have filled that blank in with a lot of different things, but he didn't. And so my response for God's love towards me should be an overflowing of my love towards others. And so in this same letter in 1 John, he gives us some hard truth here next. But it's truth nonetheless, and I think we need to read it. I hope everybody packed some steel-toed boots for church this morning. You can put them on, strap them up tight, because I might be stepping on some toes this morning. Correction, John's going to be stepping on toes, so you can take it up with him if it bothers you. 1 John chapter 3, we see this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. But no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And as if that wasn't straightforward enough, Jesus, when asked straight up in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And both of those are commands to love. So where do I start? Where do we start? How do I love those around me? I feel oftentimes the, the call to love somebody can be a loaded response because there's a lot of different ways that we can love people, a lot of different ways that the Lord's telling us or, or the world is telling us to love people. But I think in view of God as our Father and us as his children, Paul paints, it, paints an incredible picture for us in Ephesians. So we're going to read Ephesians 5, and he says this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to read that one more time. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know what kids do? They emulate their parents. They follow their parents' example. Whether they realize it or not, the more time that they spend with them, they start to pick up on their mannerisms and habits and nuances and quirks, whether good or bad. And you watch me, my mom and my dad for long enough, and you'll start to say, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. Ask my wife. You got that from your mom. You got that from your dad. And depending on the tone of voice that's used, it could be a compliment or it could be fighting words, right? But in relation with our Heavenly Father, there is no bad. The more time that we spend with God, 
The more time that we learn about him, we let ourselves be loved by him, we listen to him, we're led by him, the more like him we become. And there's not one bad thing that happens from that. See, the fruit from that relationship will always be love. We slowly but surely start to allow the stream of living water overflow in us to everyone around us. That is the cause and effect. And when we look at our lives, it should be a representation of who God is and what God's like. And as followers of Jesus, our daily life, our interactions, things that we do and don't do are either going to represent our Heavenly Father well or poorly, accurately or inaccurately. And honestly, it's no surprise that there's a lot of people that will not follow Jesus, that don't think God loves them, and that won't step foot in the church. Getting quiet in here. I know that I am not always a good showing of who God is. I fail every single day. And when people who don't know God deal with us, and we claim to be his followers, we may be the only glimpse of God that they get. And when they see some of my actions towards them and towards others, and they think, is this what their God is like? Man, that Austin, he's, he's rude. He's prideful. He's judgmental. He's selfish. He's always gossiping. He's always angry. I don't want anything to do with him or his God, if that's what he's like. They not only don't know God, their view of him is completely wrong. And as followers of Jesus, we're responsible for that. That's our fault. Because we're called to be light to the world. We're called to bring his glory and his goodness so that others may see him and run to him and know that he is a good father. You know, the first time that God is called our father in the New Testament is not by us, it's by Jesus. So I'm stealing a tactic here from Pastor Nathan, the law of first mention. So the first time that God is called our Father is by Jesus. He chose that relationship. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, it's in the book of Matthew, and it's chapters 5, 6, and 7. I highly recommend you read this. It absolutely changed my life. And so this sermon basically, it lays out kind of how Jesus tells us how to live our lives. And why it's important is because this Sermon on the Mount, arguably the biggest talk, the most important talk that Jesus had in his entire life. The attendance was through the roof, but also the diversity in, in attendance was through the roof. So right when the sermon was over, everyone was going to go back to their respective towns, and this message was going to spread like wildfire. And Jesus knew it. And so he was intentional with everything that he said. And what's incredible about this is that when we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls God our Father 17 different times. 17. That is not an accident. Jesus made sure to hit the point home that God is our Father. He wanted us to grasp that and hold on to that and know that as his followers, we have a dad in heaven that cares about us. And so we're going to look at the first time that Jesus mentions God as our Father. It's in Matthew 5. It says this. 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, we aren't expected to live a perfect, sinless life. Only Jesus could do that. But we are expected to be light. We are expected to bring light to others around us. We are expected to be the body of Christ, his hands and his feet. We're called as a body of believers to unite together in peace to represent who our God is, who our Father is to this fallen world. Because this broken nation needs to be fathered and it needs to be loved. And the only one that can do that perfectly is our Father in heaven. And it's our job to reflect that love to others so that they may see him and see his goodness and see his glory and run to him, not for our glory, but for his. And if I don't have a clear picture of God's love for me, how can I accurately show it to anybody around me? I've got to be loved first. And when we can just scratch the surface on the understanding of how much God is madly in love with you, it is irresistible. You can't help but go deeper to the relationship and cling on tighter because you know how good he is and how much he cares for you. And so as I close, as children of God, there is a lot that we don't know and we won't know. There's a lot of mystery in our future, especially in the world today. But when we know that we've got a Father in heaven that we've put our trust and faith in and we know that he is perfect and he loves me and he has my best interest in mind, I have zero hesitation following him wholeheartedly wherever he leads me and however, however he leads me and that will always be in love. And so as Christians, God is calling us up to feel and experience his love for us first. And then, and only then, can I be full to the measure and overflow with his love to those around me. And so I pray that the love of God moves us in such a real way this morning that we can't help but walk outside and share his love with everybody that we meet. It is a cause and effect. And so the last thing I want to do, I want to speak this prayer over us. In the book of Ephesians, Paul prays this prayer over the Christians in Ephesus, and he does it as an encouragement to them. And I want to challenge us today to try and just take hold of what this prayer is saying and what it means for us as children of God. So it says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.
God, we come to you this morning as our Father in heaven. We thank you for loving us as sons and daughters adopted fully into your family. We have security in your hands. There is no more secure place than in your hands. You love us like a father. And I pray that we can cling to that. We can believe that this morning as your children, that we can boldly approach, approach your throne and bring anything to you and lay it at your feet because you care for us. You love us. And I pray we can just set our path to feel loved by you. Because we know that the more we receive your love, the more that we're going to be able to love others around us. We cannot do it before we receive your love, God. Thank you for always being the God of another chance. I pray for anyone that's feeling burdened out by religion, that's feeling burned out, that's feeling far away from you, that sees you in the wrong light, God, I pray you reveal to us with fresh eyes who you really are. Let us experience your love today. I pray your spirit is full in us this morning. And I pray we leave here changed because of your love, God. Thank you for sending your son to show us your love so that we could see it, hear it, taste it, feel it, all the senses, God. Thank you for that gift in your son, Jesus. Thank you for letting us have a relationship with you, God. You are as close as our next breath. You will never abandon us. Let us hold the hand of our Father this morning. Abba, Father, we love you. It's in your Son's name we pray.